1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, all the way to chapter 4, verse 7 is where we'll be this morning. So if you want to make your way there, um, I have a few things to uh, make mention of. Um, first thing is we need to pray constantly, pray without ceasing. The Bible says oftentimes we take that verse and we look at it and we kind of just limit it to certain occasions when we're in a bad spot in life where to pray without ceasing in that bad season of life. But the Bible doesn't say when you feel good or when you don't feel good. It says all throughout your life, the good and the bad. Uh, we are called to pray without ceasing, but we need to pray and we need to pray for each other. I really do believe the enemy is working overtime because he knows his days are numbered. Listen, you, you may be experiencing pain this morning. You may be experiencing heartache or brokenness or you're just struggling with life. Let me encourage you with this. Welcome to the club. <laughs> We're all going through it. You're not alone. And if you've ever felt alone because you've just felt alone, listen to this. Don't buy into that lie from the enemy. You're not alone. Listen, in your experiencing of this pain and heartache and brokenness, there is a God who, in heaven who loves you. He knows you, he sees you, he hears you, and he wants you to call out to him. He wants us to call out to him. I'm not excused from pain just because I'm a pastor. I'm not excused from heartache or turmoil or whatever just because I'm up here. If you come pinch me, I will say, ow. <laughs> I'm human. And I'm in the same club. The reason I bring this up is because recently, um, within our own little congregation, there have been some heartache moments and painful moments and, and kind of just out of the blue moments, if you will. Uh, Bob, as many of you know, took a, a, a fall the, the Sunday after Christmas. And uh, if, if you don't know Bob, I've, I've changed his official title. It's no longer... Official greeter, it's saint. Um, because after visiting this man with Ben, um, the smile and joy that he has in the Lord, it's still there, folks. It is still there. And, uh, but he's recovering. Praise God. He's recovering from the fall that he had. Um, and it, it, it's a slow recovery, but he's recovering. Um, does he love the hospital food that he's getting? No, not at all. Um, but he's recovering. Um, and you know, the, the invite still stands for you to go and, and talk with him and, and, you know, even visit him. Uh, obviously, there's the vaccinated, unvaccinated rule, mask, temperature, all that stuff. It comes with the territory of anything that has to do with hospital. Uh, but we can push that aside. We really can. Uh, for the sake of, of another believer, another brother, um, we can push the mask stuff aside just for a moment. Um, but we can definitely be praying for him. Um, and many of you uh, follow me on, on Facebook, and for those of you that don't, um, this one will be a, a first time for you to hear it, um, but Ken, our uh, sound guy and our, our, our second chef, I, Craig's our first chef, so uh, Ken, Ken can't have that one, but um, Ken um, uh, was in a motorcycle accident uh, last night. Uh, he's, he's doing okay. Um, he, he didn't get into a head-on or a car didn't hit him or anything like that. He just turned and he took a spill 
and um, he uh, has lacerations on his face, uh, had ro- has road rash on his hands, and his ribs are sore, and um, he did an EKG last night and a CAT scan last night. Uh, we didn't know what the results were last night, but as of this morning, all of the results from those two things came back good. So praise God for that. Um, he'll be in there for at least another night as far as the family is aware, but um, uh, <laughs> even in his um, uh, hurting state, I guess you could say, the, the biggest thing that bummed him out apparently was the fact that he couldn't cook tri-tip steak for the foundation class after <laughs> service today. Um, so as we're eating pizza, just pretend you're eating tri-tip, okay? Um, uh, but you can definitely be praying for him, uh, praying for Diane as well as they navigate through this, uh, this new season. Um, and as we get further along into this, um, uh, this season with them, we'll definitely keep you updated as, um, as much as the family wants us to update you all with. So, um, and, uh, uh, these are, these are two and, um, Man, if you're here on Friday nights, which I would encourage you to come on Friday nights, it's a great time just to, uh, just to bring our requests before the Lord. We can do that anytime, but there's something special about coming together on a Friday night and praying. And, and I know um, uh, Cliff and Kim can continue to use our, our prayers as um, they're, they're together uh, battling uh, cancer. Um, not, not Cliff, but Kim, as she's... She's kicking butt, I know for sure. Um, but um, just continue to pray for them as well. Um, so, and there's a, a, a number of others who are sick within the church that couldn't be here this morning. So, man, I'm, I'm telling you, the enemy, the enemy is working overtime. And so, um, just let's lean into Jesus together. Trust Him. Know that He's in control. And um, it, we used to sing this song. Here we haven't in a while, um, but uh, the lyrics, and I thought it was just appropriate for for my my announcement. I guess you could say, um, but the lyrics are the chorus. Uh, when I say it, you'll be familiar with it. When I fight, I'll fight on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Battle is his. Um, he, he's, he's for us, and he's seeing us through absolutely everything. And so um, let's keep trusting, let's keep praying, and remember that he is strong. Um, so 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 7. If you would stand to your feet as we read together. Um, in case you didn't catch this, we are still having our foundation class after um, service. So if you plan on sticking around, please still stick around. There won't be tri-tip. There will be pizza. You'll still get fed. Um, but we didn't, we didn't want to cancel it. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, so chapter 3, verse 16 through 4, uh, 7. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us, and starting in chapter 4, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, but with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Lord, this is your word. And your word has the power to transform our lives, God, and we need that. You've given us your word. And yet so often, we let your word collect dust. We use it as a decoration within our house, or or we just have it because it makes us feel better about our lives. But Lord, it's not until we open your word and discover what it says in your word And as we apply it to our lives, then it begins to change who we are. So help us to have ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak to us this morning about. And may we apply it to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I ran out of time last week um, to finish chapter 3. I might, I might run out of time uh, this week to finish all this too, um, but we're going to go for it. And so uh, last week we left off at verse 16, obviously, uh, and Paul says, he reminds them, really, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God temp- God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are the temple. In context, Paul, remember, is speaking about division within the church. There was this division within the, the congregation at Corinth, and Paul was getting to the, to the heart of why there was division. And he'll later, as we see, he'll later get into how we as individual believers are his temple. But in this context, Paul is speaking of how the church, this church in Corinth, is the temple of God. Uh, how he uh, dwells with them and in them. And Paul is saying here, listen, God takes the defilement of his church very seriously. So seriously, it says that if anyone defiles the church, anyone defiles the temple, that person will be destroyed. And God's not messing around when he's saying that. he's, He's serious about when it comes to defiling the temple. And I thought of what are some ways that 
one can defile the temple or the, ch- the church. Uh, we see it so, so prevalent in our day and age today, but abusive leadership is one way. Uh, when a pastor or elder misuses the authority that God has given to him, secret meetings to talk about the pastor or elders and come up with false accusations, it defiles the church. It grieves God's heart. Gossip. Gossip is a whole nother topic, but it's another thing that defiles the, the temple. Business mentality versus church mentality. Church is not supposed to be ran like a business. If, if the church were in it for money, we'd do a horrible job. We are here to proclaim Jesus, not to pick pockets. Looking at the congregation as numbers rather than individual souls. The list can go on and on, but these are just some ways that, that God's church, God's temple is defiled. But we have to remember that the temple is not the building. It is not the location. It is the people. We are what make up his church. And he goes on to say in verse 18 through 19 of chapter, chapter 3, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among, among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. It's kind of one of those oxymorons of the Bible. You want me to become a fool so I can become wise? That's not the way the world works. I mean, in order to be wise, you've got to go to the Harvards and Yales of our day and age. But God says, no, become a fool. That's a good place to start. He says, for the wisdom of this world, that now this is why we are to become a fool. He says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. God outsmarts the world every time. His wisdom is beyond what this world has to offer. It says, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Now, as we get to the, the end of chapter 3, some of these verses uh, are kind of confusing. But we have to understand the context of the day that the Corinthians loved worldly wisdom. They were very much spiritual people, but they were very much worldly people. They wanted the best of both worlds. And they were running and chasing after this worldly wisdom. And Paul is ultimately saying, stop it. Stop going after this worldly wisdom. Become a fool for Christ's sake. If we can sum up these verses of 19, excuse me, 18 through 19... It would be said this way, it is better to be thought a fool for Christ than to be noted as wise in the ways of the world. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying it's better to be thought a fool for Christ. Verse 20 through 23, he goes on to say, so let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death of the present, of the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. If Paul were in an English class, his English teacher would go absolutely crazy with his run-on sentences. But Paul goes back to his original thought. Himself and Apollos. Paul and Apollos were nothing, just servants for Jesus. And he makes that clear on the onset. He says, he says that we are just servants. What, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. And he tells the church, don't get hung up on us. Don't look at us as if we're some super saints or superheroes or we're Jesus. We're servants through whom you believed. 
And he tells the church, he says, don't glory in men. It will only lead you to disappointment. Don't boast in a man. Don't put all your eggs in his basket. David Guzik says, we are more excited about being with influential and famous of the world than about being with God. We value gifts and honors of men more than the gifts and honors God gives. How we need to hear, let no one glory in men. And Paul, as he closes this chapter, he points at the liberty and freedom we have in Christ. He makes a statement to the church. He says, you are Christ's. At the close of this chapter, he says, you are Christ's. And let me ask you this morning, whose are you? Are you Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? Maybe there are some of you this morning that are needing to come back to Christ. Maybe you've wandered off. Maybe you found yourself uh, trying to live in the world and trying to live in the, uh, the things of the Lord. And it's just does, it doesn't work. And you find yourself slowly backsliding, slowly getting further and further and further away from Christ. My encouragement to you is to come back. Come back home. Come back to Christ. Understand that he has, like I mentioned, the hope that you're looking for. And maybe some of you have been deceiving yourself. Maybe some of you think, well, if I just go to church, that makes me Christ. No. Just like walking into In-N-Out doesn't make me a burger, right? (laughs) Just because I go to church doesn't mean I belong to Christ. You could be coming to church for years and years and years, but never actually recommit or commit your life to Christ. Maybe some of you this morning need to come to Jesus for the first time. Listen, whatever category you fall under this morning, the only foundation for your life is Christ. The only foundation. Everything in this world is so shaky. You can't be stable upon the politics of this day and age. You couldn't even when they first hit our world. You can't be stable on your finances. You can't be stable on how big your house is or what kind of car you drive. The only place you can find stability is Christ. That car you drive, that house you live in, the money you have, one day, be gone. But only Christ will last. And then as we get into chapter 4, Verse 1 through 7, in the context of this chapter, Paul is speaking of the ministry of the apostles, right? We looked at uh, what an apostle was in the very first chapter, right? Go back and listen to that because I don't have time to expound on it right now. Um, But he's ultimately saying, listen, this is the the role of an apostle or the role of uh, somebody who is a steward or servant of God. Uh, the ministry of the stewards and servants of God. Verse 1, it says, this is how one should regard us. And he's, he's saying it again. He, he says, what then, remember in chapter 3, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? He says, servants. And he's saying it again. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I think his point is, is that they're just servants of Christ. They're just servants of God. Paul wanted the Corinthians to view them this way, as servants, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, when we look at that word stewards, right, uh, I don't know how often you use that word in your vocabulary. 
You may use manager more often than you do steward, and that's exactly what steward means. It means a manager. And the mysteries that Paul is speaking of, right, is the truth of God's word. So when he's saying mysteries, it's not like some hocus-pocus type thing. It's the truth of God's word. It's a mystery because to the broken and darkened world around us, they don't get it. And so Paul is saying we're mystery. We're we're not mysteries. We're stewards of the mysteries of God, managers of the truth of God's word. That's what we are. The role of, Apo- of Paulos and Apollos were to be managers of the dispensing of God's word. And that was it. It's plain and simple. Paul says, listen, we are servants. We're managers of God's word. Now, I think... We get in some trouble when it comes to this title of managers. Because oftentimes, and we see this in in the church world, there are pastors who have uh, become managers, if you will, for the notoriety and the fame and the the money. I'll tell you this much, and I've been told this by, by others. If you're looking to get into ministry, whether it's children's ministry, whatever type of staff, listen. You will not get rich in ministry. <laughs> Let's just put it out there. Pastors should not be in the ministry for financial gain. It should not be for material gain, fame, or notoriety. The first care a pastor or a steward of God's truth should have is ultimately a question Am I being faithful? That is the first care anybody in ministry should have. Am I being faithful? Faithful in what? Faithful in feeding the flock. Faithful in pointing people to Jesus. Faithful to being obedient to the word of God. Paul even says in verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. It doesn't say that they may be found rich or wealthy or drive nice cars or have a gigantic house or have a Rolex watch. It says to be found faithful. Whether you're a pastor, a ministry leader, listen, if you're a believer, your job as a manager of dispensing God's word is to be found faithful. Not to be fluffy or sugarcoat the word of God, but to be faithful in presenting the entire word of God. Not the things that people want to hear, because trust me, when you read God's word, there are some things that don't sit too well. But we need that. I was talking to somebody last night as I was at the, outside the emergency room. Um, and it, it, the topic came up about how churches should stop being fluffy. Should stop being, uh, how does Craig say it? Flashy, flashy, lights, like whatever. He's got his ways. Smoky, smoky, there you go. <laughs> But the, the, the topic came up about being comfortable in a church, finding the comfortability level within a church. Let me just say this. If we find ourselves too comfortable in a church, we are probably in the wrong church. There should be that aspect of conviction. There should be this sense of, okay, I am going to get fed today. I am going to get ministered today, whether it be by other believers, but I'm also going to hear how it should be told. 
Not sugar-coated, not fluffy, not in this, oh, I just want to keep everybody comfortable. I don't want to offend anybody. The gospel is already offensive. Nobody wants to be told that they're a sinner, but listen, God says you and I are a sinner, but the good news is that Jesus died for sinners. So listen, I'm not looking to make us comfortable Christians. God isn't interested in that either. We need to be convicted and we need to be told the truth. See, managers, they don't own the property, right? I remember uh, working at a, uh, a succulent cart <laughs> at the mall where I sold plants. Yes, it was great. And bonsai trees. Don't forget the bonsai trees. You'd be surprised how expensive those things are. Um, Ian had a couple, but they didn't do too well. Yeah, they died. <laughs> Anyways, his birthday is in September, so if you want to get him a bonsai tree. Anyways, but I, I, I was a, a manager, if you will. I didn't own the cart. If I would have owned that cart, I would have killed every single plant on that cart, okay? I was banned from watering it because as soon as I spritzed it, I, it died. It withered. It went away, and so I couldn't do that. I didn't own the cart, but my job, my responsibility was to make sure things were going as they should. My boss set the standard for me and said, this is the way I want you to run the cart. And if you don't run it this way, then you're fired, right? The problem is, is that managers sometimes overstep their boundaries. And as managers of God's word, our focus should be pleasing the master. Pleasing the one who has entrusted us with what we have. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. He says, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted, given to you. The only way for us to guard the precious truth is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way we can guard it. William Barclay says this, he says, Whatever be a man's position in the church, and whatever power he may yield there, or what yield there, or whatever prestige he may enjoy, he still remains the servant of Christ. We don't own God's word. God has given his word to us that we might dispense it out to share it with others, not to twist it, not to take away from it, and not to add to it. We are to preach the entire word of God, even the parts that ruffle our feathers sometimes. If you are a steward of God's truth, if you are a Christian, Paul goes on to say, you're going to expect some type of judgment. Now, it seems like a weird transition because Paul is saying that this steward of God's truth should be found faithful. But then he goes into really saying, I don't really care about what you think about me. I mean, Paul, right here in verse 3, he says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. In short, he's saying, what you have to say about me doesn't matter. I know where I stand and I, I know whose I am. But for us, we can expect to face judgment, and we can expect to face judgment in three ways. Now, I think we're all familiar with this first one, but we can expect to face judgment from others, judgment of others. 
Right? The context, Paul is defending his apostleship. He's saying this is who God has called me to be. This is what God has called me to do. And the Corinthians most likely looked at who he was and judged him based off of his past. Has anyone ever done that to you before? They, they looked at him and thought, there's no way this dude can be an apostle. Have you heard all the things that he's done? Have you heard how he helped in murdering Stephen? Have, did you hear that he was out like looking for Christians, thinking that he was doing a service to God? There's, there's no way. There's no way you can be a Christian because of all your past or, you know, did you, this person's really a believer now? Man, they've done horrible things. Yeah. You have. I have. But the grace of God came in and saved us. And Paul was being looked at exactly in that way. They were looking at him like, there's, there's no way. There's, there's no way. I can't, I can't believe that. Let's face it, people judge. Let's face it, you judge. Let's, let's face it, I judge. We all judge. Whether we want to admit it or not, you and I judge. We all fall prey to judging others. Why is that? I really, because, I, I really think because uh, we only see a glimpse into the people's highlight reels. Especially on social media. I mean, people are posting how white their living room is and there's no spills on the carpet and their toys are all nice and tidy. Have you seen my living room with two rambunctious little boys? You're not going to see much of a highlight reel. I'll, take, I'll be glad to take a picture of what it looks like after a tornado hits it. But we judge people based off of how well they're doing. And boy, when they fall, watch out. Put the hammer down on them. Because all we're used to seeing is people's highlight reels. And then when we see them fall or they make a mistake, we come at them with judgment, thinking that we are better than them because we didn't do what they did. This word judge literally means in the Greek to investigate. Some of us need to stop doing that. Some of us need to stop poking and prodding in people's lives, trying to get the dirt, only to cast judgment upon them. You, you remember the story about the, the, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and how all these guys came up and they said, Jesus, what do you got to say about this one? And what does Jesus do? Only what Jesus could do. He, he says, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And you know the story. One by one, they start leaving. And what does he tell this lady? Go and sin no more. Like you, you have been forgiven. Listen, Paul in this context was very sensitive to their judgments. No doubt. He listened to them. He, 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 he heard their concern. I, I believe he welcomed it, but he didn't live on it. He didn't live on the judgment of others. He just chose to live in the fact that God is judge. See, if the opinion and judgment of others cause you to become insecure, it is most likely because you're looking for security in what other people think of you. If the opinion and judgment of others causes you to become insecure, it is most likely because you're looking for security in what others think of you. Rather than what God thinks of you in spite of you. See, how people see us 
and judge us oftentimes turns into an idol. All we care about is what other people will think about us. We want to make sure we have all of our ducks in a row and that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're polished on the outside. When people see us, it's like, okay, I live for that. And we start to worship that. We start to worship what other people think of us. And it becomes a trap because then we start to be people pleasers. Only seeking to please the, the judgment of others. See, many of us live by what others think of us, which lead us, leads us to a dark place. A place where we are stuck trying to please the masses rather than the one. But I love what Galatians 1.10 says. Paul speaking to the, the Galatians, he says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of God's people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So we can expect judgment of others. We can expect judgment of ourselves. Paul says this in verse 3 and 4. He says, I don't, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am thereby, I'm not thereby acquitted. He's basically saying, my conscience is clear. However, I know I still make mistakes. I'm not excused from making mistakes. Even the apostles make, made mistakes. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, my conscience is clear, but it doesn't prove I'm right. He says, I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're your own worst critic? Right? You, you've heard that. And for some of you, that's probably very true. You're, you're hard on yourself, but then oftentimes you're too easy on yourself. And therefore, we cannot be the judge of ourselves. See, you may be your own worst critic, but the estimation of yourself is usually wrong. Because like I mentioned, we're either almost always too hard on ourselves, or we are almost always too easy on ourselves. Our judgments, in fact... Uh, are based off of only one thing, and it's self-satisfaction. We tell ourselves what we want to hear. When we sin intentionally, right? We sometimes will say, because we don't want the shame and guilt to accompany us in our sinning, we sometimes say, well, it's not that bad. I'm okay. At least I didn't do what they did. But then you're casting judgment on them. We cannot judge ourselves because oftentimes the judgment we judge ourselves is skewed and inaccurate. And this is why Paul says in verse 4, it is the Lord who judges me. Number three, uh, the third judgment that a believer will face is the judgment of God. Paul makes it very clear on whose judgment he really cared about. And that was the Lord's. It is the Lord who judges me. The only real judgment. Now, if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we talked about how uh, there will be a day. If you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, for the day will disclose it, right? The day is capitalized. Day, the, the letter D, is capitalized. And it's ultimately referring to judgment day, the Bema seat of Christ, where we as believers and believers only will be judged. 
The judgment seat of Christ can be found in 2 Corinthians 5.10, where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In, te- in context, Paul is addressing believers only. The bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, is for believers only. So what are we being judged upon? The judgment uh, is for the Christian, and we will stand before God and individually be judged. Why? Well, for starters, uh, the thing that we won't be judged for is our sins, because our sins have been removed. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So what will be judged? 2 Corinthians 5.10, again, the rest of that verse, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. The believer's, believer's stewardship. With what we have, how did we use it for the glory of God? That is what we're going to be based, or judged based upon. We will be rewarded for our deeds of faith. Listen, this judgment seat of Christ, this bema seat of Christ, the judgment of Christ has nothing to do with anybody's salvation. It is only what we have done in Christ's name that will be judged. So what judgment do we need to be focused on? The judgment of others, the judgment of ourselves, or the judgment of God. The only judgment that truly matters is the judgment of God. At, at that day, will you be in front of God and receive a reward? Will your faithfulness to him receive a reward? Or will you come to the judgment of Christ receiving nothing? 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work burns up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The illustration that I have is this. Let's say you just built a two-story home. It's beautiful inside and out. And you're upstairs one day and you smell smoke coming from the downstairs. And there's fire downstairs. And there's no way that you can go through the first floor. So what do you have to do? You jump through the window, right? You jump through the window. You run uh, far away from the house as far as you can consider it safe. And you watch your house burn to the ground. Your emotions at this point are mixed. You're thankful that you were able to jump out and save your life, but you're sad because your new house is destroyed. See, this is like those believers who are saved, but have nothing to show for it. They squandered their opportunities to live for Christ, yet they are enjoying the benefits of heaven with Jesus. What you do in this life matters. Our desire should be to be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. Because after all, like Paul will say, everything we have is from him. Nothing that you or I have is from us. Everything you have is a gift. It it is a blessing. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce the judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his 
commendation from the Lord. So as we wrap up, here's two reasons why this judgment is the real judgment. Why the judgment of God matters the most is because only God knows the circumstances. Right? He says, he says, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness? He alone knows the circumstances. William Barclay says he knows the struggles a man has had. He knows the secrets that a man can tell no one. He knows what a man might have sunk to, and he also knows what he might have climbed to. Only God knows the circumstances, and only God knows the motives. He knows the motives of our hearts. Man sees the deed. God sees the intention. And Paul ends... He doesn't end. I have to end. <laughs> but he ends with these rhetorical questions that we'll look at next week. But, but listen, we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged. The outside world judges us. We judge ourselves. But the judgment that matters at the end of the day is God's judgment. At that last day, will you be found as a faithful steward of what he's given to you? Whether it be finances, whether it be the word of God itself, whether it be whatever he has given to you, will you be found faithful? And will it last? Will that work last? Next week, we'll jump back into verses 6 and 7 because we didn't cover it. But I would encourage you to read ahead. 1 Corinthians is such a jam-packed book. So much truth, so much things that need to be applied to our lives. And um, it would benefit us greatly to apply these things. Not just to hear them, but to do them. And so I'd encourage you to read ahead. Get familiar with 1 Corinthians. Don't just make this your study spot for 1 Corinthians. Go home and study it. Open up commentaries. Open up the, the word of God yourself. Check to make sure I'm being accurate. How about that? <laughs> Look at the verses. Study it. Become, become familiar with God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your great love for us and how you care for us. So much so that, that you bless us with things that we don't deserve, God. And, and that's your grace. That's what your grace does. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful stewards of your word. God, help us to stay, stay in the word. To not, to not pull away from it, not to add to it, but to stay faithful to what is written in your word, God. So Lord, we just commit our lives to you. I pray that if anybody needs to make that decision to come back home, or to even make the decision to accept you as Lord and Savior for the first time. I pray that they would do that today. May they not leave here today until they have done just that. Lord, we commit the rest of our day to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget, at about 12 o'clock, um, we're going to start our foundation class. I don't really like the word class, but whatever. Um, so it'll be right here, and you don't have to go very far. Maybe go stretch your legs a little bit. And, 
Um, but let's go ahead and stand and we'll close out with the chorus and um, hopefully we'll see most of you at 12. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.